Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. What a week Tim Brando, Spencer Tillman, and that crew had last week, including the Hail Mary that was a dart from Donovan Smith for the touchdown. And they have Houston and Texas on Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Tim Brando joins us with Craig and Paul. I'm David Smoke, 365 Sports. How many Hail Marys have you done? Oh, I've had a few, uh, but I would say no more than a few, probably a handful. Uh, uh, a couple at halftime. I think uh, one other. I had a, a Arkansas-LSU game where uh, Mettenberger was quarterbacking back in 13, 2013. As it turned out, Smoke, this was going to be the <laughs> – I didn't know it. This was going to be the last game that I would call for CBS – in college football. I didn't know it at the time, <laughs> but uh, it was. I uh, It was the weekend of the Alabama. Um, uh, LSU was playing Arkansas, and Alabama's playing Auburn, so it's the last weekend of the regular season, and it's the game for the boot. And uh, Mettenberger, the transfer from Georgia, who's, who's played in the NFL some, I think he was with the, the, the uh, Titans at one point, um, he got hurt, left the game, and a freshman named Anthony Jennings uh, came in the game. They got the ball at the one-yard line. Poor Brett Bielema could not buy a win against LSU, and I think it helped uh, uh, end his career in, in Fayetteville. But uh, Jennings took his team from the one-yard line all the way into the end zone, and he threw a bomb. Um, I guess technically you'd say there. There was time remaining when they scored, but they weren't supposed to score. Uh, Doral was the, uh, the the recipient of the touchdown pass for LSU very, very late, only seconds left. I think they may have kicked the ball off, but that was the most recent one up until the uh, the one that we had um, back on, on Thursday night. That was incredible, and certainly uh, we didn't have the buildup to it with the kind of emotion. Yeah, that was a 
uh, a trophy game for LSU and Arkansas. But this one was, in a lot of ways, Dana Holgerson had to have that game. If you look at his schedule moving forward, uh, he probably had to have that game to hold on to his job. And and to be trying to get a, uh, his first conference win against West Virginia, the team he left to go to Houston, Um I mean, that, there's a lot of raw emotion with that. I mean, big-time emotion. Players knew it. Uh, he certainly knew it. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen a situation in any game I've ever called where one team scores on a 50-yard play unexpectedly. They're, they're trying to get in, in field goal range, and they get a 50-yard touchdown with 12 seconds left. And then because of a celebration penalty, they give up. They yield about 20, 25 yards. Without that penalty, they don't get the ball in position to run a play, get the ball to midfield, and then have a chance to heave it to the end zone. So a lot of things had to happen there and did, you know, for Houston to win that game. And who knows what that might mean for them emotionally moving forward. I, I suspect that they're going to be uh, in a great mood and very welcoming of those Horns fans when they get into TDECU Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Tim, by the way, Smokey, when you ask somebody uh, how many Hail Marys they've done for a kid that uh, grew up in Catholic school, it's a different connotation. <laughs> I thought that you would have, like, did Tim do something wrong? And yeah. that's what he had to yeah. do, like yeah. 50 of them before I, I, he could go I, back I, to recess? I, I'm sure in my days as an altar boy, I did a lot of Hail Marys, <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, usually it was, oh, well, I mean, yeah. he said a bad word, and now he's got to do that. <laughs> Until he can go back to recess. Uh, all right, Tim, uh, Texas A&M, uh, you know, again, a really poor offensive showing against, a, you know, kind of a you know, the fine, I guess, Tennessee team. They're winning games. They're not what they were last year. But uh, it, they had opportunities to win that game, just like Alabama. And now the buzz around Jimbo Fisher is, well, it's year six. You've kind of seen what this is going to be. But A&M has painted themselves into a financial corner here. And Jimbo's recruited really well. What what do they do? Well, I mean, that they they were paying a lot of money for some results, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they're they were thirteen and eleven uh, in their last what uh, handful of years uh, since since the twenty season. So from twenty one forward, they were thirteen and eleven. They haven't won a, a division title yet. You know, I haven't gotten to Atlanta. Uh, you know, I'm hearing that the, the you know, 76 million, trillion, man, let's just put it together and get him the hell out. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. I don't know that that's, maybe that's A&M uh, booster bravado talking more than anything else. Uh, he was, uh, you know, one of the things about Jimbo, he didn't just fall off a turnip truck. He's been an outstanding coach. Now, people say, well, yeah, but he wrote Jameis Winston to his only title. Look, he helped Nick Saban get LSU where it got. I don't think Nick could have gotten LSU to the 03 championship or even the 01 SEC championship without Jimbo as his offensive coordinator. But the mistake here, I guess, to some extent for Jimbo was uh, stepping back and allowing Petrino to be his play caller because one of the reasons you pay him that kind of money is because he can recruit, and he still can recruit, no doubt about that. I mean, that's the one thing that you can say of the three major areas, priorities, 
that you have in mind when you hire Jimbo Fisher. Uh, recruiting and play calling are two of the three on the list. And the other, the third, you know, part of it would be experience. You know, as one of only five active coaches uh, that has a national championship. Well, now the, you know, the, 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 the new smell of that last title is kind of warm and thin. And now he's given up the play calling. So, you know, you can't put that into the mix with the 9.5 mil per. So I think in a lot of ways, uh, Jimbo's kind of lost some of his luster in terms of being worthy of that kind of revenue. Uh, but but I think that if A&M's, if, if, if A&M's money is smart money, I think it stays with him. But I don't think it's smart money. I don't think that kind of money is ever really smart. Okay, so I think they're going to come up with a huge buyout, get him out of there, and start all over again. That's my opinion. I don't think it's necessarily what I would advise them to do because, like I said, I, I believe Jimbo is is still a good coach. He's just in a pickle right now, in a really bad spot because he's failed to produce in what is the toughest division of, of college football. And it's still a very tough division. None of those teams are what they were. LSU's not. Ole Miss is not. Alabama's not. But neither is A&M. Okay, it's still a tough job. Very tough job. And it's only going to get more difficult with Texas and Arkansas. You know, when you think about Texas now with Arkansas, but adding Texas and Oklahoma into that mix, and you don't expect Arkansas. Arkansas is probably one of the greatest losing his teams I've ever seen. Uh, that's not a bad club. You know, they almost beat Alabama in the fourth quarter. They don't have a turf monster that eats up a running back on a, on a third down play. Um they could have scored a touchdown on that play. They might have done to, to Alabama what Stanford did to Colorado last week. Uh, so the, it's still a very difficult job. It really is. Yeah, and how about wait a year, let him play Texas, and then if he loses, you've really got reason to let him go. And if he wins, <laughs> then you might love him again, right? I mean, that, that yeah, guy's yeah. got to be it, such a swing game yeah. there. Um, it really is. Yeah. It really is. So, Tim, you know, as you as you're well aware, being in broadcasting, there's a lot of hype for these games and it's hit or miss on whether they live up to them or not. But last weekend, Oregon and Washington certainly seemed to live up to the hype and then some. Just your thoughts on, you know, a game where you lost, you know, if you're Oregon. But I also don't feel like you probably feel like you're that far off from being on the other side no. of things, obviously. So what did right. you make of the Ducks right. and Huskies? Well, you know, how many people did you hear saying uh, prior to last week's game, when, when we were propping up Washington, ranking them fairly high, I think I put them around five or four uh, last week in my top ten, somewhere in there. Well, they haven't played anybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so you, you say that about Washington, but you wouldn't say it about Michigan, and you wouldn't say it about Georgia. Why? Because they've got brand names that Washington doesn't have. I would submit that in the last 15 years, the two biggest names, brand names in the Pac-12 in terms of productivity are Oregon and Washington in that order. Okay, so what did they do when they finally played a team that was really up to uh, competing with them? They, they won, and it was hard. Beating Oregon was not easy. Uh, so Oregon gained some, some street cred from that defeat. Now, the issue for me with Oregon is as good as they are, I don't know that they're the best in the state. I've just seen Oregon State two of the last three weeks, they look awfully good. I mean, that's a UCLA team that's playing better defense than anybody else in the Pac-12. They're playing better defense than Utah statistically, and that's a hard thing to do. 
So um, Oregon State is they're, – they're a dynamite team, and they're going to close with guess who? They're going to close with Washington and Oregon, and that will be their season. That's how they finish their year. Uh, the Pac-12 could cannibalize itself again. I mean, it could. Potential for it is there. But, oh, boy, if it does wind up being a Pac-12 rematch between Washington and Oregon, uh, all the other leagues better come to grips with the fact that the Pac-12 is going to get at least one in uh, to this field of four. And probably the only team, the only league right now that has a chance of, of getting two would be, in my opinion, the Pac-12. Yeah, it would be, so, inter- be interesting, Tim, as well, because the SEC, when they've been eating themselves – alive when they had we were top heavy when they were top heavy yeah. but they could do that do you think that those in the college football playoff committee will understand that it also can happen in another conference they should i mean they absolutely should uh i was just talking to some friends of mine uh, i was on a show in uh, east lansing just a short time ago and uh the question about the big tens prowess this year came up and i said well you know, I think that you got a lot of teams in transition with coaching changes. I thought Wisconsin under Luke Fickle would be uh, improved enough by now to be able to handle Iowa at home. They couldn't. Uh, the fact that Iowa has uh, struggles to score, you know, 17 points in a game and yet might be the fourth best team in the league doesn't help the credibility of the Big Ten right now. I mean, it really is Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. No one in the West has any credibility because Iowa – is so bad offensively that you know when you get them out of that division, they're not going to fare particularly well. I think in the SEC, you've got uh, Alabama underperforming, uh, LSU a historically bad defense with probably the best offense in the conference and maybe the best offense in the country. That no, Everyone's sleeping on them now since they lost to Ole Miss and got a second loss. You know They're going to play Alabama in two-plus weeks. <laughs> and I'm not sure Alabama's going to beat Tennessee this week. Okay, uh, Joe Milton, he's not great shakes, but he doesn't get sacked as much as Jalen Milrow does. Did you know Alabama has yielded 34 sacks this year? That's most in the country. Okay, that's an Alabama offensive line. All right, so um, Alabama's fortunate to have one loss. I think Tennessee could beat them. I think LSU could beat them. So what are you going to do if 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 it's Georgia and, and LSU again? And LSU's not going anywhere. They're not a threat for the uh, for the, the the top four spots. Not this year. I don't I don't see it. I really don't. So you know the Pac-12, either Oklahoma or Texas, you know, and a winner take all if if it works out that way in the in the Big Twelve. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Okay, if Texas has ever been set up to lose a game, it's this game this week. Okay, <laughs> there's, there's ever been a chance that Texas could stub their toes, this is it. Okay, they look down their noses at Houston. The lost gods decried will never set foot on the Houston campus again ever to play a game. And Brett Yormark, the commissioner, gave him a lovely parting gift by saying, guess what? You're going to go play four games on the road in the state of Texas, and we're going to start you off in mid-October at Houston, the place where the lost God said under no circumstances, over his dead body, would they ever play a game at Houston. Uh, 
So, you know, it's, it's not as if Texas will run the table, but Oklahoma needs them to. You know, Oklahoma absolutely needs them to for them to have the kind of credibility that they want to assure themselves a, a chance to be in the CFP. Uh, but there's all kinds of possibilities out there. And right now, more of them look good in the Pac-12. And, and most of that league, as you know, is going to the Big Ten and the Big 12 next year. Uh, and it's also looking good in the Big Ten because they're top-heavy and everybody else is not good. You know, once you get past those three teams, uh, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, uh, there are a lot of layups in that league this year. So the, the, the level of balance that we have in college football now is tremendous. And if you want to call some of it mediocrity, okay, yeah, there's some places where we thought the football would be better. We thought it would be better at Baylor. We thought it would be better at Kansas State. It hasn't been. We thought TCU wouldn't fall off the rails the way they did, but they did. Uh, it's just one of those crazy years. We're setting ourselves up for a 2007 potential. Uh, uh -huh. when, 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 when Les Miles won it with two L's and moved from number seven to number two in the polls after uh, Shady McCoy had a great game against West Virginia and poor Rich Rodriguez was run out of town on a rail uh, after West Virginia went down with that white and all those guys back in 07. It's, we're setting ourselves up, I think, for that. Tim, if Brian Ferentz was the offensive coordinator in a in the Big Ten and the rules were not changing the the rules or the teams weren't changing, if it was still going to be the East and West and these were the teams, right. would he be under as much fire because they are winning games, but now you can't just go, well, we only have to play Penn State and then all the teams in the West. Now yeah. you're going to have to play a Penn State and Oregon and USC and whoever. Yeah. Yeah, they won't feel it until next year because because uh, there's no inflection point for Iowa now other than a gaudy record and pitiful offensive statistics. Okay, <laughs> just win, baby. All they've ever they they're they're always great in special teams. They're always great in takeaways, and their defense scores points for them. And that's all they've ever had to be to get to corner the market on winning the West and having a few opportunities, okay, of going to the Big Ten title, shocking the world, and winning their way into the, the college football playoff. Uh, just as Michigan State did once, uh, and, and much to the chagrin of Penn State, the year they won the, the Rose Bowl and, and, and uh, took the Big Ten title, they didn't get in. Uh, it was, it, we know what happened that year. Ohio State got in. And they won it all, okay? So uh, it won't work in Iowa, and everything's going to change the moment all those teams move from west to east and then manage to get into the, the Big Ten Conference. Uh, but I will say this about Kurt Ferentz. By God, what a run. I mean, yeah. he, he hasn't done it with uh, the flair, okay, of, uh, of the great one that, that preceded him. But, my God, has he lasted as long. I mean, you talk about a, a second act uh, to do what he's done for as long a period as he has. Um. It's strike one for nepotism, baby, because <laughs> running that offense, no matter how bad it's looked, has been awfully effective for Iowa Hawkeye football. Tim, sticking to the Big Ten, what are your thoughts on Penn State, Ohio State, a, a massive game coming up this weekend? If ever James Franklin's going to crack through, this is it. This is the team. Not since 2015 has he had such an opportunity. Drew Aller is the goods. Uh, right now, I would say McCord has improved. But on natural ability, I give Aller the, the edge. 
I do. Uh, I think the skill people for Penn State, probably the only team that matches up uh, with Ohio State as well. I don't think Michigan's skill people are as good as, as Ohio State's, but the quarterback play isn't as good with the Buckeyes as it, you know, it has been in recent years. Um, I, I see Penn State shocking the world here. I don't think a lot of people believe that they can win at the shoe, but I think they're going to. I like the Nittany Lions this week. So you have this game coming up on Saturday, huh? The, the game, like you mentioned, <laughs> with the lost Dodge and Houston coming off yes. a dramatic win in Texas <laughs> with the, the off week. What are the chances, Tim? What must Houston – will they need Texas to throw up on themselves to have a chance on and Saturday? And they could. Yeah. And they could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Texas is going to have to hurt themselves. Houston does not have the talent or the depth uh, to, to stay with Texas if they're kicking in on all cylinders. But, fellas, you've seen it with USC. I saw it twice before they finally lost to Notre Dame. Um, you know, I had them uh, early in the season against Stanford, and Stanford looked as bad in the first – First half, excuse me, first half against uh, Notre Dame, uh, excuse me, against uh, Colorado as they did against USC in that game that I had for four quarters. Uh, I think that um, USC against Arizona State a couple of weeks later, you know, they were having problems with the snap. Uh, Caleb Williams dropped a couple of perfect snaps. He threw a couple of lazy passes that were picked off. Arizona State had the ball down six with a FCS running back that had transferred from Sacramento State that went for 200-plus total yards against them, Cam Scalaboo, and almost beat him in the desert. So what they did uh, against Notre Dame and how they they blew up in that game and their defense just caved should not have surprised anybody. I mean, should not have surprised. Now, it was perfect timing for Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman can send them a, a thank you letter, thank you card, because – it looked great to his alumni after the debacle at the end of the game with with Ohio State, but uh, Texas has had historically, okay, historically, they have made the same mistakes when they've uh, not been able to handle a full cup of success that USC clearly could not handle with a full cup of success last week. All right? So uh, Houston needs Texas to come in, you know, with their swagger, we're the horns looking down their noses at that commuter school that only has a stadium that seats about 35K and say, man, we got you guys. Okay, we got you guys. That kind of attitude is what's kept Texas from being anything other than a paper brand since 2009. They've had those moments. And I don't care who the quarterback was. Okay, could have been Allegor, could have been, you name the quarterback post-Colt McCoy. They've had those moments. They can't afford to have that against Houston, or Houston has enough personnel to step up and beat them. Do the, do the Cougars need some help? Yeah, they do. They absolutely need some help. What what I'm sure Houston wants to do is control the ball as much as possible, and that's what Dana's team has been working on all year, getting a run game going. Uh, Donovan Smith, as you know, can run the football. I think he will have some designed quarterback runs, and uh, I think you'll see – Dana, at the point that he needs to turn it up, all right? And that's what happened at the end of that game against West Virginia. Even though they were trying to run the football and control possession of that game because West Virginia could uh, light it up and score quickly too, when he went back to his old way of doing things and went back to the air raid and allowed Donovan Smith 
to have the level of confidence in his own game to make throws. He made 16 in a row, you know, and if you recall that call of mine, it was he's completed 15 in a row. He needs one more. Yep. And if he completes it, it's for the game. And it, and it was, um, I, I don't know of a team that can come in riding higher with more optimism. That's an underdog this week in Houston. It all sets up so beautifully for them. Dana just got uh, the win that he needed in the big 12 against the team that he left. It was gunning for him. Uh, and, and those Houston kids that had played pretty well, played very well offensively at Texas Tech, but lost because of uh, special teams breakdowns and some defensive breakdowns too. That op- the offense was um, was very good at Texas Tech, and it carried over into that win against West Virginia. And I, I think he's hoping for the same, and he's just going to need his defense to get a few takeaways and then hope his offense is just as warm now as it was when I last saw them. Tim, uh, Florida State is 19-0 all-time against Duke. They're 14-and-a-half-point favorites at home this week. Uh, but Mike Elko has this team uh, playing really fundamentally sound football. Riley Leonard, maybe, maybe not. Uh, nobody knows yet. Um, yeah. Is this is this the game that uh, Florida State should worry about losing their winning streak? Yeah. Yeah, I would be on high alert with them because of the way Duke has played. Now, the Leonard, I mean, it would really be nice if they had him. Yeah, I mean, because he's fantastic. Uh, He was a real difference in the game with Clemson uh, earlier in the year. I don't know without him, you know, how effective uh, they can be, how many explosive plays they can have. Uh, You're going to have to have explosives to beat Florida State, especially there. I mean, uh, Keon Clark has been so good. Uh, he's He's the transfer portal player of the year. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, uh, Michigan State's loss was Florida State's gain. He's been a major difference maker. And uh, the reason I think right now Norvell can hold him up as a poster child for why you go to the portal. Did you hear me? Did you hear me, Dabo? Did you hear me, Nick Saban? Okay, these hard-headed old-line coaches that, that don't want to go there, they need to start thinking about it, no doubt about it. Tim, uh, again, you look at where things are in college football, and there's always some kind of story. People like, okay, there's 8 to 10, 12. How many unbeaten teams, 7 or 8? In the end, isn't it pretty much history? There might be one or two, and that's it no matter what. Well, that's the history, but but this this, this year has not resembled what our recent history has been. Uh, I can talk till I'm blue in the face about the level of parity, uh, and I have in the past. I think there's a lot more balance in college football in recent years even. But until those four or five teams that seemingly are always wrapped up and we could say now in October, well, okay, we know it's going to be Ohio State, uh, Clemson, and Alabama. Oh, we know it's going to be Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama. Oh, we know it's going to be LSU, uh, Clemson, and Michigan. We're not having that conversation this year. Uh, what, we're, what we're saying is, my God, how, how much more fun would it be if we had 12 this year? I mean, that's what everybody's saying, and I agree with that. Uh, the great teams with the big brands aren't as good, and a lot of teams that are on the come are better than you've ever imagined, and they're all capable of pulling it off. I mean, when a team as bad as Stanford, okay, is down 29 to nothing on the road against a Colorado team that's been – you know, the, the number one story in college football for the first month, and they come back and win. I mean, this year is like no other that we've ever seen. 
So I anticipate uh, more carnage. I don't think we're going to see chalk at any point this year. So your, to answer your question, yeah, I, I don't see a lot of unbeatens at the end. Hell, we might not have any unbeatens at the end. Okay? So will we see a two-loss team get in? I think there's a better chance of a two-loss team possibly getting in than two unbeatens play. How about that? Right, that's a possibility. Has Caleb Williams played himself or USC out of New York City? I think so. Uh, I was asked the question uh, earlier in the year, do you think he can repeat? I don't think you can repeat in today's version of the Heisman. You know, when I started voting 30 years ago, uh, getting a Heisman vote was precious. You, not many people voted on it nationally. Uh, you know, the old AP writers were voting on it. Uh, the people that covered the teams uh, were voting, and, of course, the, the past winners. Now it seems like everybody's got to vote. And particularly now that we're doing it by Internet as opposed to in the mail, uh, I think that the vote in a lot of ways is skewed more in different directions than it ever has been. So I didn't think his chances were as good as a lot of people felt uh, before he laid the egg last week at Notre Dame. But it's not also helping him any. Trust me, with a lot of the old traditional Heisman voters, when they hear a guy, even if it's – I don't know if it's true – but it has been reported that he has said, and his father has said, unless you give him a piece of ownership, he's not going to come. He can stay at USC for another year. You can play that kind of game at this stage from a public relations standpoint. You can bet he's not going to get nearly the number of votes that he thought he might have gotten. So um, he, he's made his own mess in a lot of ways, I think. Just because you do Wendy's commercials and the decimal point on your NIL check is where it is doesn't make you brighter than everybody else. Last thing, Tim, you had those two classic games. Uh, do you go home after you get back home, after the flight home? Do you just go home and sit in your recliner and just take a nap and veg out? What do you do? Sunday, I am a zombie. I'm like <laughs> the walking dead. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm like uh, the creature of the Black Lagoon, uh, you know, coming out of the swamp. Uh, honey, uh I just want to watch the second half of this game and let's go get in the hot tub, can we? <laughs> Help me get to sleep. I don't. Uh, I don't feel taxed at all during the the two games in three days or the two games in two days deal. I I, I don't. Uh, where you do feel it is on that red, after you get off the the red eye home. You know, you hustle to a flight at about twelve thirty in the morning on the west coast, whether it's in San Francisco or Portland or L.A. And uh, you come through either Houston on United or DFW on American or, hell, I've even done it flying over Chateau Brando going to uh, Atlanta on Delta. When you get back home, you feel it. That's when you feel it. And then uh, after about an 11-hour sleep Sunday night into Monday, I'm good to go. I'm fired up to find out where the next one's going to be. And, um, I mean, don't be surprised. I know we're going to do two the weekend of Thanksgiving. We may do another two here in the next few weeks because of the number of games that Fox has. And uh, so far, they've been great trips. You know, we've had better games than I thought. The uh, second game of the first double dip that we did was Arizona State having a chance against USC out in the desert. And then, of course, uh, that was a really good, not great, but good game between UCLA and Oregon State we had on Saturday. And it was meaningful. You know, two teams – ranked 14th and 18th in the country, 
uh, trying to stay alive in the, in the race for the Pac-12. And uh, you know, the viewership's been outstanding. You know, the ratings are up everywhere, even those Pac-12 after dark games. We had over 3 million people watching that SC-Arizona State game a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. And we had just under 2 million watching the uh, UCLA game, which given the fact that it was opposite Notre Dame and, and uh, USC, that was a pretty good number. So more people are watching college football, fellas, than ever have. And that's a good thing. Tim, great job. Congratulations on the weekend you had. Good luck with Saturday's game, Texas and Houston. We appreciate it, as always, with your knowledge, experience, and also the backstories and, and storytelling. Have a great week. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.